Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest this week is James Jimmy Eberhard. He's the founder and CEO of Fluid Truck. You know all of those white trucks with light blue letters you see all over Denver? That's Fluid. And the company's been named the ninth fastest growing company in North America by Deloitte, as well as the fastest growing company in Colorado by the Denver Business Journal. And prior to starting Fluid, Jimmy's a multiple time entrepreneur with a successful exit to his name, but he's going for his biggest one yet with Fluid. Hey, Jimmy. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Chris. Great to be here. Great to see you. Well, awesome. So, you know, before we dive into the biggest lesson, would love to have our listeners learn a little bit more about Fluid Truck. You know, tell us a bit about what you guys do and the origin story. Fluid Truck is a uh, technology platform to allow businesses to rent vehicles. So you can hop on our app, you know, book a car rent, a, a big box truck, in a matter of seconds, at a tap of a button, you know, we operate in 60 markets across the country, over 400 cities. And really what we're doing is empowering businesses to be able to spin up. Let's say you're starting a new business or you're looking to expand your business. You can hop on our app, you know, rent, you know, one vehicle out of hundreds of vehicles across the country, manage drivers. And what really what we're trying to do is make it just easy, simple for anybody to have access to a fleet of vehicles without having to own them. I kind of look at it as like cloud computing for trucks. You know, 20 years ago, you buy servers. Today, you know, you uh, go to AWS and, you know, five years ago, you used to own a fleet of trucks. Now you can just use Fluid and be asset light. That's awesome. I, I see a Fluid truck, you know, in front of my house or through my neighborhood multiple times a day. So can attest to the power of what you've, you've built here, which is exciting. Not a coincidence there, Chris. We are stocking you. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's fine. It works. Um, so tell me a bit more, though, about where did the origin story of fluid, sort of what led to this insight that, you know, trucking assets could actually work on demand like the cloud works? I mean, it, it started off really just uh, looking at like, how do we displace assets overall? And we started in this kind of in a grand scheme of like, hey, how do we take and make anything easy, accessible, and shareable? You know, and, you know, at the early days, you could rent a truck, a bouncy castle, with, you know, party equipment, recreational equipment, tools. And we just really saw businesses start hopping on and it was really bsc in the early days and you know, we morphed to a b2b solution but um we saw businesses to hop on use our platform because it's pretty difficult to rent a commercial vehicle it's time consuming you have to drive you waste a lot of time it's traditionally open nine to five monday through friday and uh you throw an app you can do it you know on demand 24 hours a day seven days a week and matter of helping match you can get the vehicle you need have it delivered to you pick it up and away you go Wait, did I hear you say that originally you could rent a bouncy house from Fluid? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the very early days, like it used to be like Airbnb for stuff. So the things that we had on there, you know, was, originally it was you know, really designed peer to peer and we've kind of morphed and kind of adapted that marketplace where we have hundreds of vehicles in every market. Um, but it's, uh, it used to be pretty wide of what you could uh, get on there. And we saw a lot of crazy use cases of people bringing ladders or tools or, you know, kayaks. Uh, but I mean, trucks is the one that, you're like, wow, this is a really big opportunity. That's really interesting. I, I'd love to, after the podcast, hear some more stories about what else could be be rented and some <laughs> lessons you learned from that. So I'm sure it's pretty wild. 
So I want to shift a bit to talking about Colorado and Colorado Tech, right? And I think you've had a particularly long view of sort of what's gone on here in the ecosystem. But back up a bit and, you know, tell me where it was, you know, originally when you sort of started your entrepreneurial journey and what you see in the ecosystem now, because it's it's changed quite a bit. Yeah, my first startup tech startup was in 2000. So it was online retail and then morphed into online reading tones and downloading reading tones to your cell phone. And back then, I mean, you know, engineering talent was, I think, pretty scarce, but, you know, it was also early days, but you typically define engineers, you know, you're kind of looking for people that had just moved out here from school and never had a job in the engineering side. So the talent was pretty scarce on there. And we ended up pulling a bunch of people as we developed the company from the coast. I mean, today it's, you know, engineering talent's uh, a lot more, you know, widespread across Colorado. I mean, the number of startups, I, at that time, I couldn't really think of another tech startup that was doing software or mobile phone uh, applications. And today, I mean, you know, it's commonplace here across there. And so it really has evolved the talent pool. We've seen a lot of companies move, move headquarters out here. And so it's a lot more vibrant ecosystem. And I think it's, you know, got a good balance of people want to be here uh, just from the outdoors and balance uh, of life. And you end up picking up some great talent people that, you know, or have worked remote and then didn't leave post COVID. But I've just been migrating out here or, you know, come out here for holidays and like, hey, you know, let's take a, a, a trip out of the bay. So as you think about on the the hiring front, it sounds like you feel like you've got a pretty big advantage because people want to be here. And when you sort of say, hey, come work at Fluid, right? It's like, great, you're in you're in a great place that I actually want to be. Is that how it works on the recruiting side? So, you know, we kind of look for talent that kind of flows with our ecosystem. I'm, I'm, we're out there challenging build brand new things that you know, don't exist. And so it's a uh, I think it, it, we love for people to be here because, I mean, the collaboration, being able to sit down, draw a whiteboard, sketch things out, um, you know, I always kind of see that really helps evolve the product cycle in there. But, you know, it's a world where, I mean, we're pulled out all across the country, some remote, some local. Um, and then we also operate across the country. So, I mean, we have a distributed team that's, uh, you know, 32 states now. Wow, that's exciting. Um, so a little more on sort of the ecosystem that's evolved, you know, I'm sure as a, a founder of a really fast growing, you know, company here, you see lots of other interesting companies sort of at the growth stage here in Colorado. Um, are there one or two other companies that you're, you've seen that you're really excited about that are building here locally? I mean, I always kind of get excited about the founder um, and what they're building and, you know, trying to find that kind of a person that has this nasty and has the resilience to like fight through. And, you know, it's never going to be, oh, easy upward hill climb. There's always going to be challenges and looking for the people that are out there. But I mean, one company I, I'm real excited about is Onward uh, Graft. And I think and I mean, they're actually a portfolio company of yours. And, uh, you know, I, I love the, the team in there. I love what their their passion, what they're out there building. And I think they just have the you know, resiliency to go out there and do it. Smart, clever, prudent, and frugal. So, uh, you know, all those balances to be successful and really building, you know, solid teams and out there challenging the status quo. Yeah, I think that, you know, your, your point on, right, you know, grit and resiliency and like, it's never a straight line, right? And, you know, having, you know, built a company myself, the number of times where you're like, oh, shit, I think we might be fucked, right? But you got to go work through it, right? And and that happens over and over again, right? In building a company. It, it was, uh, I, I was out with a bunch of other founders and uh, the question of, you know, when's the first time you use your payroll taxes to pay payroll? 
And and, and it just everybody's like, okay, and, you know, starts naming them off, which anybody that's listened to this, it's not a good idea. Don't do it. You can get a lot of trouble. But you know, it's just kind of hearing those break points of like, hey, we were this close to failure. And it's like, how many times did you almost go out of business? And uh, there wasn't a single person. And this was, you know, there's 50 different founders around the, the table at this event. And we're all kind of going across like, hey, how many times did you almost go out of business? And it's like, you, you, you have like, okay, this happened or we messed up on this or fuck, we miscalculated this completely and barely, nearly turned and avoided disaster. But it is, it is crazy across that because I don't think I've heard of a successful company that, that hasn't had that break point moment of like, oh, fuck, if we don't fix this by tomorrow, we're out as Yeah. You know, I always tell the founders that we back, I'm like, hey guys, like share the bad news because I know there's bad news. Right. And, and then second, I can tell you a worse story of how that we screwed yeah. up. Right. Mm-hmm. And still survive. So you're not going to scare me with the bad news. Right. And I think that that helps founders understand that you really get the journey that they're signing up for and you're there to help. Right. And not chastise them. No, um, so, but from an investor standpoint, you know, it's so important to have that transparency. And like, as you built companies, Chris, you know it, you know, that's going to happen out there. And I think, you know, the one of the things like always is like an advice moment out there which I think kind of leads into the topic of the conversation here is don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to be transparent about when things are wrong. If you bottle it up, I mean, I watch uh, friends' companies that blown up because they try to carry it all on their shoulders. They try to hide it from there. And uh, it usually doesn't lead to a very good uh, situation. No, so someone much wiser than me once sort of put it as the cost of bad news goes up the longer you delay in sharing it. Right. And I think that that's a really good way to think about it. So let's then transition, you know, to the biggest lesson. So what's the biggest lesson you've learned, you know, building multiple companies and how did you learn it and how does it change how you work today? And I think the biggest lesson I've learned is, is just transparency and transparency with the team. You know, sometimes it'd be scary to share like, Hey, you know, that moment you turn the corner and you're like, Oh shit, if we don't do this right, we're going to be out of business. And I think off there, you know, you've got to trust your team. You've got to be transparent with them. You got to know, and hey, things aren't right, and we all have to figure out how to work together to do it. And uh, probably was watching uh, as I was building a company called Nine Squared up in 2001. I had a friend that was a software company, and you know, it was right after 9/11. You know, the whole economy flipped overnight, and uh, he held it. He didn't talk about the financial problems. You know, people could start seeing and sensing it, but he uh, didn't start letting people know until it was they're out of money. And then pretty much everybody abandoned him. So for a couple of people, you know, stayed on to try to help him work through it. But at the point, it was already too late. And, you know, had he been, you know, as first customers start bailing out contracts, you start having problems like collectibles. Uh, he couldn't raise capital. You know, bank financing was out there. He held all that stuff to himself. And it, effectively, he could have done things to drive his runway out try to drive new situations, get other people around the table to help fix it. But instead he just kind of held on to it. And something that I really took to heart on that is like, okay, you know, when there's problems out there, you can't be too proud to own up and say, Hey, I fucked up or this is fucked up or this happened. We've got to figure out this is the impact of it and share that across because that's how you solve it. You solve it with the team, you solve it out there and no one person's going to ever have the answers for it. How do you think about transparency at with different groups of constituents right and this was something i always struggled with in building apartment list is we we strive for transparency but especially sometimes internally right you have people who maybe don't have the full context 
or the level of transparency scares them and they don't know how to handle or they don't understand that it's hard. And then you also can't pull back on transparency really once you're at a certain level as well. So how have you thought about managing that internally? What's the right level? How do you communicate it? And how do you create the right culture with it? And I think on it, it's if you don't start being transparent at the start, it's hard to one day you show full transparency and if people aren't used to it, you haven't educated them through the cycles. It's a tough thing to do. And so I think the key thing is you have to be, you have to make a decision like, hey, we're going to expose this much data. We're going to expose our full financial statements to the company. Um, we're going to expose P&Ls. We're going to expose you know, how much we're losing, how much cash we have in the bank. And you got to make a decision on, on what is the right things to, to go out there and do. And I think across it, you have to build education. You, you, you show the numbers, show the key metrics, talk about why it's important. And then also you say, hey, this is what we're planning to do. This is how we're going to solve for this. But we need everybody to be focused at this. And as soon as you start hiding some of that data back, it's hard to expose it back out. And then also if you hide too much and they don't see the key, key metrics or they don't see the revenue components, it's hard to be aligned and know what you're working at and know like, hey, is the actions I'm actually doing going to contribute to this or not? And if you can't tie the two back together, you kind of lose that edge and that capability to be dynamic, to have everybody like, hey, we missed this number in a pretty big way. We've got to be all hands on deck and you've got to get people aligned at it, know what's important, what's not important. And I think that all kind of comes with that, but I think you got to start at the very beginning. And so tactically, how do you do that at Fluid? Is it all hands? Is it something you share over email? Like how have you put together your your communication to deliver that right level of transparency and then create the alignment that it sounds like you're really focused on creating throughout the company? It's, I mean, we do monthly all hands. And uh, during those all hands, it's we try to push that transparency back through. Um, and so it's something we've done since the very early days is, you know, we take, you know, Usually it's a you know half hour to an hour uh, once a month where we get everybody on the call. And so everybody's invited. There's a single employee that's not on there. And not all the time do they have the ability to jump in on it. But, uh, it, and then it's driving those education cycles, talking through about what's important, what's going on, talking about the failures that we have or the problems inside the company openly and talking about what's important and what's not important. And just trying to drive that alignment all the way through and then you know, talk about wins and losses from what you've seen and uh, how, do we, how do we learn from it and how do we evolve? Are there any symptoms that you, you've seen of maybe not being transparent enough, right? Are there things like, oh, I start getting this question or this question over and over again, and it sparks in your mind that, oh, I actually need to be sharing more of this or something like that. Like, what are things that, that other founders can look for to gauge if they're doing enough of it? I mean, uh, you know, I think everybody, that means you kind of look, you need to look at your business and look what's right in there. I think in my early days, I hid financials from the company and only a few people saw them. And so I would, you know, show metrics or I'd show different things. And I found that the more and more I, I got the financials, the kind of where we're at, what our runway is, where our targets are at, um, the more I, I've gone on, I've been more and more transparent across your know, revenue, uh, profit and loss, expenses. I've come to kind of find on that is that the more you do that, the more people are engaged on it. Typically, everybody that's an employee employed has as a shareholder. So it's something where we're all, all trying to drive that common alignment. We're all owners in the companies. We're all looking to win together. 
And so I, I think that's probably the, the biggest thing that you know, I've evolved to is have equity that's dispersed across the company, be transparent across the, the financials, and then talk about why we did good or why we did bad. Yeah, you know, we found in my experience, like originally, I think we were not transparent enough. And part of the reason for not, we're like, oh, well, what if we scare some folks and they quit, right? Because this is hard. And what we realized was, A, sharing the, the hard things created more alignment and motivation with most of your employee base. And so you got more out of that. And the folks that were scared actually just weren't right for the company, for the stage we were at. And so it was actually a good filter on who should be here right now. And so every time I hear founders, oh, I'm worried about talking about runway or burn or, or something like that, I, I try to you know, share that alignment. Have you found this similar thing with sort of like, there's a group there that you want that wants to do the hard thing. And there's a group that maybe this isn't right. And it doesn't mean they're a bad employee. It's just not right for what you need to do right now and where you're at in the company journey. No, and I, I completely agree. Startups aren't for everybody. Early stage pre-revenue companies aren't for everybody. Not everybody has a tolerance for risk and is okay. Like, hey, if it fails, you know what? I'll go get a job somewhere else. You know, some people are not made for that. Some people are wired for it and that love that and like, you know, love that ability. Like, I'm going to make an impact. But if you don't have that runway, you don't have that revenue, you don't have the, the loss on that side, you don't have that transparency, they don't know and they aren't connected to it. And I, I totally agree. You lose that competitive edge on that side because the people that shouldn't be there, if you show it to them and they run, okay, you just save yourself some time and energy because they are going to freak out at the first sign of trouble. And no startup. I don't think I've seen one where it's just everything's perfect, everything's designed well, and it's off the races, and you never have cash crunches, you never have revenue shortfalls, or you never have product failures. Like that stuff just happens. Yeah, I, I have not seen one yet either. Maybe there is, but you know, I think it's it's probably not possible, right? Because you're doing something new and meaningful, and those things tend to be hard. If it was easy, it would have been done already. So Jimmy, really appreciate having you today. You know, where can our listeners follow what you're up to or stay in touch with what Fluid is up to? Uh, Fluidtruck.com. LinkedIn is, is a great spot to connect with us, uh, connect with me. You know, we try to get across all the social media platforms. I, I tend to just you know, focus at LinkedIn is where I, I usually spend my time uh, when I'm on the social side of the world. But uh, yeah, I mean, Fluidtruck.com is the best place to connect with us. People who go out there and build businesses off the back of our platform. Jimmy, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciated having you. Hey, Chris, I love what you guys are doing. Love how you guys are support founders here in the Denver metro area. So uh, thanks for going out there and putting the capital work on people that are building here. Appreciate it. Thank you. 